Good morning, Whitewater. How are you guys doing? Oh, it sounds like summer's going great for you guys. <laughs> sounds so fun. Um, man, it's great to see you. Welcome to Whitewater. If you're new or new-ish, this is a place you can belong before you believe. And our series is actually all about that. Um, this series on Stranger Summer Things is really, it really is mirroring the, the idea from that show how an unlikely group of pe- people, these kids and adults, all come together as this unlikely family. And isn't that like the family of God? I mean, like people joining and together and from totally different backgrounds, totally different sometimes belief uh, systems and um, different ethnicities, all these things that, can, that could actually, uh, in, in our world, in our day and age, could drive people apart. But Jesus brings us together. He's building this inclusive family of God. And that's, that's what our series is about. And so um, last week, uh, I, I talked about the, the reality that the family of God, if it's an inclusive family, if it's a transforming uh, family, if it's a Jesus-centered family, is a family that enters the world of other people. And you guys remember this, uh, I used an illustration last week uh, with charcoal. You guys remember this activated charcoal idea? Anybody, anybody order this the, this week? No, no one trusts it. They're like, that's too weird. I, I, I ordered a Brita instead. Um, so <laughs> I was with my, my brother and, and sister-in-law at their place, and I was thirsty, and I was like, have some water. And they're like, yeah, have, have some of our, our water. And they had this jar filled with water with a, a chunk of this, and I didn't know what it was at the time. And they were like, uh, this is charcoal. And I was like, that's disgusting. Um, and they're like, no, 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 this is like activated charcoal. It's special from Japan. I'm like, I don't care where it's from. Like, and he's like, no, 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 it, it absorbs it. It actually pulls the toxins out of the water. Try it. So I tried it. And you know what it tasted like? Dirt. No, I'm just kidding. It, it, <laughs> it tasted amazing. It was like sweet. It was so good. I was like, I got to get one of those. So me and Sarah ordered one. And, and the, there's this reality that um, God's love and his family of love, is, it, it's like Jesus. And when we, become, we, we don't become Jesus, we become like Jesus. And that, that means that we, we kind of follow the Jesus pattern. Well, it, it, one of the most famous verses in the Bible said that for God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world. In 1 John, it says God loved the world so much that he sent his son into the world, again, to bring eternal life. So Jesus was sent, into, and this doesn't look special, into the world, Jesus didn't look that special, entered the world and began absorbing the toxins and the pollutants in the water and changing the water. We are sent into the people's worlds to begin changing them through love and blessing. It's a transformative thing. God wants to use your life and my life. Um, even if we don't feel like we look that special or are that special, God wants to use us and he wants to use our church. Um, someone asked me how this applied in my community group. They said, well, how does that apply to your life? You know, jumping into the jars of other people is how they said, entering people's world or jumping into the jar. And, and I said, well, for me, I grew up in a church where we expected everybody else to jump into our jar. I grew up in a church that said, oh, the world needs to come to our world. And it was when I was a youth pastor where God really started teaching me to enter the world of other people. I went to Shuxon Middle School, entered a totally different jar. I was sent in there and I started absorbing words I'd never heard before amongst middle schoolers and took taking all kinds of abuse and the cool table was still much cooler than me and I was just serving at lunch and just to get to know kids and get to know their world and, and, and reach out beyond just the, like the borders of the jar that our church lived in and God taught me so much in that but one of them was I the nerds took me in first and those who had been outcast they related to my 
being an outcast in the school. And eventually, like, I built relationships with the cool kids. And the kids, well, they really just thought they were cool. They weren't that cool. And I started hearing their stories on why they were who they were and why they acted like they were cool or why they acted like they were a nerd or whatever. All these walls came down by entering the world. You cannot change someone's world without entering their world. And so what I would like to do as a family of God, we don't always do this, but um, I figured while we're in this series, I want to function as the family of God. And you might not even be part of our family yet or consider yourself, but, but we consider anybody and everybody potential family. And so we're so glad you're here. So here's what I want you to do. Whether you're a Christian or not, not a Christian, I want you to ask this one question or answer this question. Um, if we are a church that's sent into the world, what would, it, what would the impact of a church, you and me, it's people, churches in a building, what would our impact be if we didn't see ourselves as stuck in the world, but as sent into the world of other people? What kind of impact could our church have as a sent church? Ready, go. Start talking, get up, move around, say hi to somebody. Go, family. All right. As it's winding down, you can find your spots if you're up. Uh, hopefully you made some new friends. This is the church family here at Whitewater. What did we learn? What did we learn from that question? Uh, a person I talked to said, a sent church, well, I'll get to you in one second. A, a sent church um, could really change cynicism. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, we live in a really dark time and like there's a lot of um, cynicism or um, sadness and disappointment and disillusionment in our world. And, and if, if the church saw itself as sent, not like stuck in the jar, but sent to love people and bless them and bring the light of Jesus, like it would lighten our world. It would really change people's world. And she said it would change people's perspectives of what the church is about and what, what Jesus is about. And I was like, you need to come preach this sermon today. So I'm going to be welcoming, you know, I'm just kidding. You can go off my notes if you want. It'd be great. Um, I had, there was a hand up here. What, what did you learn? Ah. Oh. Oh, isn't that the, I'm so sorry. But I'm sure you have another really deep nugget that you want to share with us right now. I'm going to put you on the spot. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. What else did we, got, what did we learn? Yeah. Um, I just thought that uh, being a sent church, you see yourself as more inviting and more willing to be fluid, or if you're stuck, you feel like you, you have to be where you're at, and you don't really want to reach out to anybody. A sent church is more inclusive of other people. And, it, and it's more flexible, more fluid with situations. It's not just so black and white um, and rigid. That's really good. What else? Yeah, right here. This week, um, in my personal life, as I was out and about with my kids, I noticed that my heart to see people's brokenness has changed. Hmm. Not only, I mean, you can turn that blind eye, but then when you're looking at them, you're not just seeing that shell of a person. You're saying, wow, God could really help them. That is so powerful. Like we see the brokenness in other people, not as something to condemn or to uh, conform to, but as to have compassion on and to be, I I love that. We see people and their hurts and the brokenness differently when we're in their world rather than we're just looking at their world. That is so good. We'll take one more or no more right here. Yeah. Rather than to say maybe this is an opportunity because I do have a mission. So it changes us from that like passive mentality of just waiting and watching the world happen and pass you by as a Christian to being proactive 
and initiating and, and trusting, and, and I know I'm probably putting words on this, but I'm, this is kind of, it sparks my mind. We trust that God is at work out in the world. And if he is, we're joining him in that. And we got to be active, not just passive. You guys, thank you. Like, what would, a, what would an unleashed, sent church look like? And, and what if we changed our mindset that I'm stuck in my world of work or family or neighborhood or wherever it is, and we believe that we were sent into this world? Now, I want to jump into the sermon proper. Proper. Um, we don't always have this kind of discussion, but I, I just figured we're, in, we're, we're studying the family of God, and I really want to take advantage of being the family together. And, um, and if you're new or you're not even a Christian, we're so glad you're here. We, we, we want to help everybody for, uh, on, their, on their spiritual journey to take the next step, to move forward. But I hope that this gives you some, some pictures of what the church family is all about, what God's family is all about. So um, if you want to, you can turn to Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be up on the screen behind me. Um, before I jump into that, I, I wanted to just give us this idea. Um, there, was a, there was a flight, I think it was Southwest, that was flying in the air, and for some reason they had to all of a sudden, this flight, with all these people, and it had to like take a drastic maneuver, and, and they, they dropped uh, uh, quite a ways in elevation, and it was so much so that you know, everyone kind of freaked out for a moment, and, and then all the oxygen masks came down like all the oxygen and you know in that moment when you're on the plane the oxygen masks come down like it's not a good moment right you're like no you know all the people who are terrified of flying that you've been comforting saying hey it'll be fine it'll be smooth you'll be fine if the oxygen masks come down that's the only time you need to be worried boom they come down and like people are panicking um so all the oxygen masks came, came down now let me stop there for a second if you were to rewind to the beginning of the flight when they weren't even in the air. Do you know what the, the, uh, the leaders on board, the, the Southwest workers on board, what they always do at the beginning of the flight? What do they always do? They give some long drawn out thing about something, something. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> They talk about like, here's the safety things. And if there was an event, here's what you have to do. And in the event of this, here's what you do. And they talk specifically about the exits and the, you know, how you're supposed to, and then the, the floating devices. And especially, what do they always mention? The oxygen masks, right? And here's how you put them on. And they always say, make sure to put the oxygen mask on who first? The panicking person? You know, like the, the kid next to you, your kid, someone else's kid. Who do you put the oxygen mask on first? yourself why right because it's a selfish thing to do no <laughs> why why do we do that so you can help other people because if you don't have oxygen on if you don't prioritize the priority you're not going to be able to help other people so you got to get the ma- oxygen mask on and you got to put it on right and it's got to be over your nose not just over your mouth over your nose you know what they all did you throw that picture up there <laughs> so in that picture, nobody has it on properly. And this is so bad. Like I, I'm, I'm not trying to make an object example of these people, but for us, um, are we listening to what the priority is? Would we know how to, to accomplish our priority? And this guy looks terrified right now. <laughs> Absolutely terrified. Um, but all of their masks are on wrong. How much is that going to help them? They, they, they didn't properly. So, there's a difference between knowing something and doing something. Can we agree? Okay, let's jump in the text. 
Here's uh, what it says in verse 28. What do you think? Says Jesus, a man had two sons. Jesus always was talking about uh, the kingdom of God and spiritual realities, but he had a way of connecting them to um, physical and relational realities, and he would tell these parables. So a man had two sons. If you've got a, a father and two sons, what do we call that? A ruckus. It's a family. It's a family, right? So this is a family. We're talking about the family of God, and Jesus talks about uh, a family uh, as, as something very important for the kingdom. He says this, um, he, the, the father went to the first one and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. Would you go work for the family? Serve, love and serve me and serve your family. Um, how many of you guys know that f- to be a family, you have to relate to one another? Now, you, don't, you might not always relate in a positive and healthy way, but the healthiest families have healthy relationships, right? It's also true that for people to develop and grow in a family from like little kid from the cradle, you know, all the way through to they're launched into their life, that you have to have, you want to have healthy relationships, but you also want to have healthy responsibility, so when someone's little, like uh, little Wes, well, we're, he's still learning. He's my son. He's almost two years old, like little white-haired, blonde-haired boy. He's howling all the time. His grandpa taught him how to howl. He's, uh, he, he even has responsibilities. We're like, we need to pick up our blocks. And you know, he's, he's actually, don't tell Novella, he's much better than his sister was at cleaning up his blocks. He'll go do it. He'll open and shut doors for people. He'll like wait for someone to get done. And then the doors are huge for him. So he's kind of like... God, it's like he's shutting some door from Lord of the Rings or something. He's pushing this thing and it closes and he serves the family. My, my daughter who's six, she, is, uh, she has responsibilities for her age and she's learning them and she's learning, you know, this, uh, there we go. Help with the dog, help with, um, you know, just these things, clean her room and take care of it. And we're entrusting her with things so that she learns to be trustworthy. And there's a dignity that's given to people when you give them responsibility that, that, that doesn't stretch them too far, but it's also not boring and too beneath, beneath them in a sense, like that it's developing them. Would you agree that that's a part of being a healthy family? So this father in the story, he, he gets that. He knows that. And Jesus says, he goes to his son. said, would you go work in the vineyard today? Would you, would you help the family? Would you serve me? And the first son says, I don't want to. Nope, he says to his father. But later, and I imagine if he's anything like I was with my dad, felt the guilt, or my mom. I felt the, do you ever feel the guilt? You want to do this, son? It's your choice. I'm really trusting you to do the right thing. Um, I have a friend who always says I, I do that to him, and it's because he needs it. Um, are you gonna, what are you going to do? And I remember feeling guilty and so doing what this guy did, like saying, no, I'm not going to do I don't want to. But then later it says he changed his mind. He changed his mind and went into the field and began working. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing, uh, and said the same thing, will you go work in the vineyard? And that son says, of course, I'll do it. I'm there easy got it but then he didn't go now I see some parents in here kind of their eyes starting to look at certain children (laughs) certain spouses maybe don't do that not wise Um, but we see that there's a difference between these two sons and Jesus after telling this parable simply asks a a group of religious people they were known as the Pharisees Uh, they were known as the religious leaders and they were very big on like following the rules and and presenting oneself as very religious as like a really good son to God and he asked them which of the two 
sons did his, did his father's will? Which of the two sons actually did what his father wanted? And I'll ask, I'll ask you guys, which, which son actually did what his father wanted? First son, right? So even though it's nice to have someone say yes, what gives more authority and trust? Our words or our actions? Our actions. My grandpa said, you know, don't only listen to what people say, watch what they do. Because our, our actions can speak as loud or even louder than our words. I've even heard it say, said that, um, uh, I've heard this saying that your actions are speaking so loudly, I can't, I can't hear you. I can't hear what you're saying. So they said the first, the same answer as you guys. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. So who's the you in this story? It's the Pharisees, it's the religious, it's the ones who present like life is so good and they're good sons to their heavenly father and they've got it all figured out. And Jesus tells this parable, he asks them a question, says which one is the good son? The one with the words, the one with the religion, the one with all the, you know, the, the actions that look and give a, a presentation of goodness, but they don't actually want to be in the field and they don't actually serve the father or the family. They do their own thing. Um, and when he asked them, who, who's the good son? Who's the one who actually did the father's will? They said the first. And in that moment, Jesus gets them to have a, a, a self-awareness moment. They, that's right. There's one happening right now. Um, it can be painful at times. But he, he's, he's getting them to, to, they're actually condemning themselves. And probably some of them know it and some of them don't even know it. He's how they're condemning their own actions. And Jesus explains it. He says, I'm telling you, tax collectors and prostitutes in this culture, that's the lowest of the culture. The Pharisee religious leaders never wanted to be around them, didn't want to associate, uh, saw them as like a sin infection, just waiting to be infect, you know, to infect you. And they don't want to be with them. And Jesus says, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. Quick question. What was the Pharisee's primary job? to lead people in the things of God, to lead people in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says the people that they loathe are getting into the kingdom before they are. Verse 32, for John, this is talking about John the Baptist. He's a guy who came in. He prepared the way for Jesus. He said, hey, there's one who's coming who's bringing the kingdom. Get ready. Hey, religious people, get ready. Hey, sinners, get ready. Come, get ready for the king of, of goodness, the king of grace. And John the Baptist came to you in, in the way of righteousness or the way of a right relationship with God and with others. And you didn't believe him, Pharisees. You didn't believe him at all. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw them getting in, didn't even change your minds then. And you didn't believe him. He's saying, you've had two chances to respond, and I'm giving you a third chance to change your heart just by talking with you. Pharisees, religious people, listen up. I'm sure there's none of that here, but I, I'm talking to them, not us. He looks at the religious, the one who wants to present like everything's great and everything's good, and they say yes to the Father, but they do no. Their actions say no. 
He says, you are behind the worst of sinners that you can't even like because they heard the word of repentance or forgiveness and transformation and they responded to it. They responded to me. They joined the family. They, they asked for forgiveness. They've changed their lives. And when you saw lost brothers and sisters rejoining the family, your reaction was to turn away. You wouldn't even turn toward the kingdom then. And so you had a second chance. Their transformation was your invitation to the kingdom and you said no and Jesus is like I'm giving another invitation you don't have to stay there and notice he says you didn't change your mind he's saying you're just like the uh, you're just like the second brother who wants to present like everything's good and and you and you don't go you don't join and you're like the first brother who's has an opportunity to say yes and and you haven't changed your mind You could be like the first brother. You could turn, but your hearts are too hard. So what I want to talk to us today about is the gap between our words of serving and following and loving the family of God and loving our Heavenly Father, the gap between our words and our actions. Are you with me? Hopefully some of you are. So what I'm going to need is I'm actually going to need some volunteers for this, just two. I need some dudes, two dudes. And I want to make this really practical for us today, okay? This was a really challenging sermon. It's like really practical, but very challenging. Uh, it was very challenging for me this week, and I just want to get into the heart of it. Um, can I get two dude volunteers? There's one. you mind coming standing right here on the stage, like kind of right in front right there? I just need one more. Yeah, come on up. There's another dudely looking guy. Come on up here. That'll work great. Okay, so um, here's what I want to do, is this duty, I want you to stand right here, There's, I don't want you too close to that guy, he's dangerous, um, so you represent every single one of us, every single one of us has the, the me that I want people to see, we have the, the me that we present, our words, and the, the kind of the, the shell of what we want people to see us as. What we say is important. And then over here, this is also you, it's also me, this is the aspect of you that represents who you are in action and in deed. Okay? So, um, every family has values. Would you agree? What are the values of the, of the family of God? If we were just at the brainstorm, I actually had some other things uh, set for today and they, none of it worked, and so I have my techno whizzes. They're ready to take some of our answers. So what I want to do is I just want to throw up on the screen what we would say, what we would think we should say are some family values in the family of God. Like, the, our Heavenly Father, what are His values that we want to represent? So, what do we think? What are some values? Serving the least of these. Serving the least of these. So serving people, could I, could I even put serving your, your, your church family and serving like the world? I think, that, I think those are pretty clear family values that Jesus embodied. Um, we can all say that's true, right? What else? Forgiving. forgiving people. That's big, yeah, forgiving. Fairly important to a Jesus follower. I, I, I like everything about Jesus except the forgiveness for other people part. <laughs> what else? Did you say something? Generosity. Generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave. Generosity. What else? 
I don't, we don't like that here in this family. <laughs> That's great. Honesty, right? Honesty. Notice a lot of these are like the way of Jesus. Like we're, we're walking like, like he is. We're trying to walk like him. Honesty, that's huge. Can't build trust without it. What else? What else are family values? Humility, faithfulness, love. I don't know if you can keep up with that up there. Thank you if you can. Humility, faithfulness, love. Yeah, family time. Can we put that with like serving the family? Like family time, it's relationship and responsibility in the family. That, absolutely, put that down however you can on, on that side. That's great. How about, just, how about time with the Father? How about time with the Father, which would be that family time, but if we love God, we want to spend time with him. Okay, let's stop there for a second. I'd say those are some pretty good ones. We'd say those are good priorities, okay? Now, um, let's go over, this is what we say is important. This represents you and me, remember? Now, what do we actually do that's important. Where do we put our time? Our time tells, um, or I should say our treasure tells our time what's important. What do we treasure? So what do we actually value? When we look at this world, not yourself, other people, of course, um, in this world, what do we see as values and priorities? Money? Uh, status? Someone said stuff. I said stuff. Is that what you said? Okay, that was good. I like that. Stuff, money, status, stuff. What else? Work, oh yeah, pleasure, work. Man, people work so much. And work's not, God created us for work. He created us for responsibility, but it can all of a sudden start to become more important than these other things. In the order, do you guys know that family, everybody has values. Some people can be like, yeah, I love my family. But the way they, and, and they might say, and I love um, waffles. But they might prioritize waffles above family and, and still on, with honesty say, I do value my family. It's just waffles are more important. Or, you know, any number of things. So priority is important in our value system. <laughs> yes. That's really what I was trying to get. I just wanted waffles up there so bad. Um, we got time for one or two more. Rat race. Experiences. Yeah. Someone in the last service said beer. Um, I was like there. I just love that's honesty happening in the, in the family. So let's, let's stay there for a second. So um, you, how many of you guys notice that there is a gap between what we can do and what we can say? So like we can be like the, uh, the, the younger or the second brother who says, yes, this is really important. But then our actions and our time say something differently. Um, how do you know when you're struggling with what's really important. How do you know when you're struggling with the priorities here? You're unbalanced? Not surrendered? Yeah, how about you're exhausted chasing after everything that feels important in the moment or the thing that you, that's built up so much importance in your life and you're serving, 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 serving that. Now here, I, I want to hit this because I do think it's so important like lack of joy, all that stuff, but that exhaustion and frustration, it comes out like this. Let me give you guys a few examples. Um, Let's say some values and priorities that we would say aren't that important, but have become important in our actions. So let's say, um, here's a good example. Um, There's a husband and a wife. A husband's been working really hard. He's doing lots of stuff. He's got a lot of things. So he works hard. He plays hard. 
And his wife comes and said, hey, we need to talk. Two of our kids are really struggling. One's struggling at school. One's struggling in the home. And I need your help. We need to talk about this. I, yeah, I would, but I'm super busy, babe. Like, it's like really, I'm exhausted right now. And there's a lot going on. Could you just deal with it? I've been dealing with it for a long time. I need your help. I need, would, you, would you just let, I, I can't handle this right now. I've been working hard to put food on the table. I've been doing this, this, this. It goes on and she's, I need to talk with you now. And I need to talk. We haven't connected at all. Like we, when was the last time we connected? Look, I don't have time to connect. I'm doing all these things for you and the kids. Can't you appreciate that? Now what's really going on? He's saying that the family's really important. He's saying that the kids are important. He's saying the right things. But his actions are saying that what's the most important? Work. And, let's, and here's, in my experience, like work is really important. He's given a lot of hours to that. But also play and hobbies and working with like the, the toys that whatever a person will have that they'll spend their time on. And his wife is asking for maybe a 10-minute conversation and they haven't even connected and he's giving, let's say, let's say at least 40 hours a week, at least, right? Plus 10 to 20 hours with the things that he wants to spend time unplugging from work. So that, there's 40, 50, 60 hours, and he can't give his wife 10 minutes. We start blaming the most important things for our frustration and our exhaustion when the problem is really our prioritization. We have created this gap and we start blaming the people that are most important, their loved ones and the people that we think are, we say are really important. That's one of the most, I think that's one of the key signs in our day and age that the world struggles with and the, I think one of the saddest things is that the church family can struggle with it as much as anybody else. And God calls us to a different life. Jesus calls us to a different life. There's you know, another example. Kids are wanting to hang out, wanting to play. I don't have time for this. I don't have time. And, and then mom or dad blows up. You guys, I'm busy. I'm busy. And with whatever. And what they're saying is, I, I don't have the 20 minutes to spend with you to teach you how to read, to, teach, to, to play, to have fun, to connect with you. This is more important. Now, in the church family, here's another one that I see. And this is just church family. And um, man, I, I, don't, I just don't have, I'm, I'm, I'm so exhausted. I don't have time to serve my church family. And when we'll, we'll, we'll talk to people about, I'll talk with people. And I, I, I'm looking at my own life. Well, what are you spending your time on? Let's talk about the time that you're actually spending. And you come to find out that they, they might not even be giving one hour a week to serve the family of God that Jesus died for and loves. They're struggling to, to give even an hour a week. Most people don't. And even if they are giving an hour a week, that means they're giving maybe, maybe four hours a month. And they're spending, and on average, a new statistic I was looking at, people spend up to three hours a day on their screen time. Probably should have put screen time up here, huh? And when people are like, they're blaming God and they're blaming his church family for how dare you and I'm exhausted. And they're like running around like chickens with their heads cut off with all these different priorities and their hearts are divided. I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And, and what was really going on is they're, they're crying out saying, my life is out of control. And they play the victim. It's not my life, it's all out of my, out of my control. And, and Jesus says, stop. 
Stop. Stop just giving me words. Come back to who you were designed to be. I mean, none of us want to live a life like that. I don't. Do you? I don't want stupid things to be my priorities at the expense of the most important people in my life. I don't want to miss out on the most important moments that I say are important because I'm, I'm looking at my a screen or I'm doing a hobby or wh- whatever. Um, I, I, I don't want to live that kind of life. And it's not like someone wakes up someday and says, you know what, I want to miss as many of the important moments of my life and my family and my kids and my God as I can. I don't want to spend any time with them. I want to spend more time stressed out with less joy and living like the world as I possibly can. Nobody wakes up thinking that. It's like this drip, drip, drip process where over time we just get so divided. Do you agree? So how do we close the gap? That's what I want to finish our, this talk on. Could you guys give these guys a hand? I, uh, wait, wait, wait. I got a gift for you. Hey, Rick, here you go. And uh, here's a gift for you. Thank you for, uh, for serving that way. Um, you guys were standing up there a while. I appreciate it. So well, I want to close this, this, this sermon about how to close the gap. How do we close it? Um... I think, there's, I think there's three conversations that we need to have with God. God the Father, he loves us. And even if we're a son who's saying yes but, but doing no, and we can all agree as parents, we'd prefer to have someone say yes and do yes, right? That's why Jesus says, let your yes be yes. But actions are the most important things, even more important than our words at times. So... There's three conversations that I think are really important to have with any father, with any mother or father figure. But if God's our father, we got to have this conversation. And the first conversation to help us close the gap and to change is simply this. Um, let the father say, I love you and I see the gifts in you. So many people are like running and they're working hard and they're doing all these things to like earn some kind of love, to earn some kind of favor. And like, we just need to have the, that conversation with the Father to remind us sometimes, like, I just love you. Quit running around. Quit doing all these, just sit with me, be with me. Like, I love you. And you're gifted, and I want to see those gifts come out in you. I, you were born for something. Let's go after that together. And some of you, maybe that's all you needed. You could leave today. It's like, just to have that conversation. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for designing me. Second conversation that I think needs to happen with our Heavenly Father is, will you love and serve me? Like, I think the Father asks us, will you love and serve me? Just like in the story, will you love and serve me? Serve the family. Will you serve the Father? Will you serve the family? Will you love in that way? Why, don't, why do we struggle with that? In Galatians 6.10, it says, whenever you have the opportunity, you should do good to everyone, like serve everybody, but especially those in the family of faith. Like, like if we're a family that's supposed to bless the world, but we're running around crazy with our priorities as jacked up as anybody else's, how can we be a community that has anything to offer? Of course there's grace, of course there's love, but the Father's like designed us to live with his family values. Not the world's. Will you love and serve me in the family? So why do we struggle? Here's the, here's the biggest thing. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. 
And then in his joy, he sells everything and he buys that field. Um, You might want to write this down on your notes if you have it. When we see God's family as treasure, we give our time to it. When we see God's family as trivial, as optional, we give our religion to it. We'll come sit and look religious, but we give zero time to God and to our, our spiritual family and our families. This really hit me this week, and it's all about treasure. Do we treasure the things that matter? Do we treasure, like, are we going to be like that person that sees the treasure for a second um, and then forgets it's there and doesn't trade everything for it? Are we going to be the person that trades everything, sees the treasure, buys the field, and then we get to the field that we own and we forget there's treasure there? We don't see it anymore. Because I'm telling you, you put your time into what you treasure. Do you treasure the things of God? My grandfather and my father taught me this. Um, so whenever you're struggling like, and you're frustrated and you're, the blame game starts coming up and you're just like, you're angry or you're out, your life's out of control and your priorities are out of control. My grandpa taught my dad this and both of them taught me this. Is you, you gotta be thankful. You gotta go treasure the real treasure. So my grandpa said, you go to your kids and you put your hand on their, hands on their head and just say, thank you, God. They might not know what you're doing. They're like, Dad, what are you doing? She's like, this is treasure. This is my treasure. You've given me, this is treasure. And you, you, you go to your, your home and you go to your, your things that matter to you. You go to the things that matter most, like your wife or your husband. And thank you, God, this is treasure you give me. For me on Sunday, like, this is the family of God. You guys are treasure. Like, this is treasure here. Do we believe it? Do we put our time and our, 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 our lives in serving this family? Do we love one another? Do we enter each other's worlds? So easy not to, right? I had to, to do an evaluation in my life at one point, and um, I'll close with, with, with this thought. Um, God really hit me with this. Um, I, I was um, doing, we were planting this church, lots were going on, and, I, and it was the fall, and I got offered to do, I think it was like four or five weeks of tailgating and Husky Stadium going. And I love the Huskies. And you guys like the Huskies? How many of you guys are Cougar fans? Okay, there's a few. Okay, so imagine that the Cougars were Huskies and you loved them. And it's like, I can't go there. This, this illustration means nothing to me. So I, I got these tickets offered, and, and, and my friends were going up to tailgate all day on Saturday. So my schedule, and our schedule at that time, my, my wife was working Monday through Friday. We had a little girl. We didn't have Wesley yet, but a little girl. She's probably around two, and, um, and she's starting to like, become very relational. And um, my wife worked from Monday to Friday. My Fridays I had off, but I'd watch novella, but we weren't together with Sarah until the end of the day. So Saturday was like a sacred day of like, this is when we get to hang out. And Sunday we moved with all the set up and tear down and our church family was smaller. So it just required, uh, uh, you know, everybody pitching in and it was a long day. And, and so I said yes to doing the, the football thing and tailgating. My friends would start like, we'd get up at six, sometimes 5.30, we'd drive up and they'd tailgate all day. And it was, I was new to the culture and, you know, I would, they'd do the tailgating. It was really fun. And then we'd go to the game and then you walk from the game out win or lose and then you slowly drive home in the traffic and I would be leave at six and I wouldn't get home sometimes till like 11. I would miss all day with my family and that was the only day I had to spend with my wife and my little girl and there was a moment where God just convicted me because uh, so my wife's like hey 
we, I feel like we haven't connected in a while. And I wanted to like blame her. What do you mean? Like I, like I need this or you know something. Like I really need to tailgate. It's so important. And I, sa- I would tell you that, that my family was really important. But in that season, I was struggling with my actions. And uh, it just hit me. I, I ended up having to make a decision. I was like, you know what? This is just too long. Same thing with golf. Like I had friends who'd like to go 18 or more rounds on a Saturday. And I just had to start saying no. It was like, like I, I needed to do things in shorter amounts so I could spend most of my time with my family. And I ended up not going to the tailgates that next year. And what I did was I, um, I watched the game of football with my daughter and taught her to love the Huskies together. <laughs> better spending my time, right? I'm with my family. My wife's there. She's celebrating. We're eating together. And it's like a two to three hour commitment. The rest of the day we have together as well. And, and so we're doing it together. And when my daughter's, she's been older, I've taken her to the Huskies. And as my son gets older, we'll go as a whole family to do that. But in this season, what's more important? Me time or us time? And I tell that to you guys just to be honest and real. Like I'm trying to close the gaps in my life. What would it look like if we treasured what was really treasure? Let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and we're so grateful for you. Would you um, speak to us today? Father, I, I, I know that we don't have forever on this planet. Tomorrow is not promised. And so would you help us to live today as if the real treasure, the real things that are important are really important? Lord, we want, we want to know you and love you and serve your family, serve our family. Would you help us to see the gaps and to begin closing them by your power? Amen.